Hello, and welcome to episode four of Learning at Work, a podcast about how learning happens in the workplace. Doug Weitz and I co-founded Cultivate Me to help people and organizations use their everyday work as a platform for growth, both as professionals and as people. Each week, Doug and I discuss whatever topics we're wrestling with and try to help each other sort out, articulate, and clarify these ideas, and hopefully add a little knowledge and insight to the world of workplace learning. This week, we dig into the idea of talent flow. How does talent move through your organization? How do you attract it? How do you develop it? How do you promote it? And how do you avoid the dreaded exit interview phrase, there just wasn't room for me to grow here? Is talent retention the wrong metric? Are we trying to trap people in our organizations and keep them doing the same thing for years on end? Or do we want a vibrant, dynamic ecosystem of people full of energy, creativity, and passion because they're on a journey of discovery and development? If you're curious about any of the ideas we discuss, or if you have questions, or you just want to connect, you can always send an email to hello at cultivateme.xyz. And now, on to the show. Hello, Doug. And hello, Gabe. We're back again. It's good to see you, sir. I always love these chats. Me too. You and I mentioned something the other day that struck us. Yes. As a concept that we should dig into and pick apart. And the, the, the name we're using for that concept is talent flow. Yeah. And I, the reason that this term, you're the one who said it, the reason this term really like just lit me up is because it's such a beautiful contrast from um, talent retention, which is some, which is like a buzz term in, in business that is all about like keeping people which has always struck me as like a, you know, how do we build a better cage, <laughs> which is not inspiring at all, or, um, you know, uh, doesn't set people up to grow and flourish and do all the wonderful things that we believe people want to do and will stick around if they can do it at your place. I am suddenly uh, remembering this short little poem by a, I want to say a Persian poet named Hafez. And I don't even remember the, the title, if it even has a title. But it, it's very short. Let me see if I can recall it really quick. The small man builds a cage for mm -hmm. everyone he knows. But the sage who has to duck his head when the moon is low keeps dropping keys all night long for the beautiful rowdy prisoners. <laughs> wow. Is that really the poem? That's really the poem. That's beautiful. At least the version I read. It's that's always struck me. And I guess when you say that talent retention feels like building a better cage, I think the, the dynamic people in an organization become these beautiful rowdy prisoners and they start mm. looking for a way to get out. And then of course, some sage is going to come along and drop a key. You're like, come work, 
with me at my startup. And you, you drain the vitality out of your organization by trying to keep people in a place where they no longer fit or they're no longer inspired. And by place, I don't necessarily mean a company. I could just mean a role. Sure. Yeah, yeah. People can be imprisoned in all sorts of ways within a company. <laughs> but but the you know, the challenge is to like find a way to make it so exciting to stay because there's this feeling that there are no bars and you can grow in any way you want and still be here that people want to stick around. They're not sticking around because they have to or because they are somehow imprisoned. Um, They're sticking around because they want to, because they know that this is the kind of place where they are going to be able to become whoever they want to become. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I have a few stories about this that have been coming to mind and I'll, I'll throw one of them out there now. And um, I had an old friend of mine from college. I now measure things in decades, not just years. That's that's where my life is. And he reached out to me the other day uh, and he said, hey, you know, it's been forever since I spoke with you. Uh, I'm just trying to like expand my network. I'm like, I'm working with like a career coach and, you know, talking about, you know, reigniting relationships and just getting out there and, and, and talking to people and, and kind of letting the universe do its thing. Right. And I said, well, what's going on? I said, I just I've 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 been at this place and it's a, it's a large organization, technology organization. It's a very, uh, you know, well to do, well respected um, wealthy organization. And over the past decade and a half, you know, he's done well and he's, he's risen up to a certain point, but he said, like, I'm kind of getting tired of solving the same problems. Um, and nobody wants to give me an opportunity to do something else. Like I keep getting this pressure from different parts, whether it's, you know, the head of this division or VP over here or my manager, like, they, they kind of know I'm good at doing this and they're trying to keep me there. And I, I don't want to do that anymore. And so mm. I'm, I'm, I'm looking. I mean, how many times have we heard that, right? Yeah, yeah. It's, I mean, bored people quit. Well, and this, so, your, your example, the example of your friend, he's got golden handcuffs on, right? I mean, like he's in a cage, but it's like a really nice cage. A gilded cage. Right, a gilded cage. Um. So imagine if you were someone who was in kind of a scraggly old rusty cage. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's even unappealing when you're in a sweet spot is my point to be caged. What is it that we that we want? Why don't we like even a gilded cage? I think it it makes you feel like you can't explore your itches. You know what I mean? I mean, what, what did we call it in the first episode? The, uh, I know that sounds like something you need a prescription for. Yes. No, no, no. (laughs) But your, 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 um, inklings or what, what was it in the first episode? The term we used. Dim apprehension of something better. Yeah. Yeah. Like people naturally have, and I think actually even more naturally have them when they are good at their job because they're comfortable and they're not like underwater with trying to figure out what they're doing. 
right? They're, they're on like a plateau where they know what they're doing. And so their brain naturally is looking for the next thing to, to think about. Mm-hmm. And so it starts to think about things that are not the same as what they do, right? And that isn't always, I think this is kind of an interesting thing because it's not always a promotion. Like it's not always about moving up the ladder, right? Sometimes it's mm. about like, God, I wonder what it would be like to work in that completely different department, even if I had to move down the ladder to do so. Right. You know, I've never worked over there. In fact, I have a story for you when, when it's the right time about that. Um, I mean, this seems like a, this seems like a good time, although I would be remiss if I didn't just say that, you know, the obvious pattern here is that nobody wants a job. They want a journey. Yeah. And there is this human imperative to, to always seek out dynamic quality, to always seek out new challenges, not like perpetually every second of every day, but as you track the course of someone's journey, if they hit a plateau, if there's too many static patterns in place and there's nothing new happening, they, they get bored, they get disengaged because there's this itch that we always need to scratch to like find something new because, because we always want to grow, right? Because we're, we're organic, we're organisms. We want to grow. And we always want to see something new. I mean, climbing to the top of Mount Everest must be the greatest thrill of a lifetime, right? Mm-hmm. But once you get to the top of Mount Everest, yeah. you're kind of like, Okay, let's leave. I mean, like, we're yeah. not going to yeah. leave there. This is an incredibly <laughs> inhospitable environment. I'm not going to exactly. stay here. <laughs> like, it's about the journey to the top of Mount Everest. It's not about being on Mount Everest. That's right. And once you're there, it's things are static. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, so what's your story? story? Yeah, the story, I, I was just talking to um, one of the leaders at an organization who uh, I, I was coaching one of one of their people. And um, she and I talked about uh, the fact that, so she's in, she's in a department. um, What do they call it? Uh, People, you know, she's the go between, between the client and the um, creative. Okay. The account, account she's an account manager. Oh, okay. Got it. And so account manager, you know, typically an account manager's trajectory is like they, they take on, you know, they're, they're the account manager for like one client, then they have two or three clients. And then eventually they get to the point where they say, why don't you oversee a few other people like you that are each, you know, working with two or three clients. And so you'll be sort of overseeing 30 clients or whatever. Right. Right. And, and that's, you know, she, that's where she's headed. But she said, you become a manager of account managers. Exactly. So right. she was she was really nervous about saying to her boss, the person I was talking to, um, I really kind of want to try social media, right? Like social media is a mm. completely different job. I mean, the company does that, but it has nothing to do with being an account manager. Um, it's just like a completely different job. And they would be losing at least part of her, if not all of her, to social media if they were to let her go. But the person I was talking to was, I was really impressed because he said that he was, that they were trying to be creative about figuring out a way for her to do that because they recognized that if she wanted to do it and they didn't let her do it, 
it would only be a matter of time before she felt trapped, you know? Um, now, why did she feel that itch all of a sudden? Who knows? You know, like there's, there's all kinds of ex explanations for why all of a sudden she was feeling like, ah, I'm feeling trapped. I want to check out something else, you know? Mm -hmm. um, or I just want to check out something else and I'm not particularly feeling trapped. But what I, what I feel like was interesting about this one is not necessarily how she felt. I think the way she felt was totally normal and goes on all the time. Mm -hmm. you know, the, what was interesting about this was how her bosses were responding, right? They weren't saying, no, 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 we want you there because you've already proven you're good at that. And we need to just be able to count on somebody being good at something so we can focus our attention on something else, right? They were like, let's find a way to make this happen for her. And that's yeah. like pretty extraordinary and sadly pretty rare. So that I have to now tell the story about the aircraft carrier. Okay. So <clears throat> I'm relaying someone else's story, but this person was being given a tour of an aircraft carrier as part of a larger tour of, you know, different armed services, uh, armed forces. Uh, and it was on a U.S. Uh, aircraft carrier. This is a major, major piece of equipment. I mean, there's only like a dozen aircraft carriers in the U.S. Navy, I think. And this is something that has tremendous power. This thing could start World War III if it wanted to, right? Given there's like 5,000 people on this boat, 5,000 people on a boat in the middle of the sea. There's, you know, aircraft on it, all sorts of weapon systems. Like this is an incredibly powerful, dangerous, strategic thing. Whoever runs this thing better know what the hell they're doing. <laughs> um, and has a tremendous amount of responsibility. And so this, the, the gentleman telling the story was talking with the, uh, the XO. I know I have very little about okay. the military, but that's the, that's like the executive officer or something oh, like okay. that. It's yeah, like yeah. the head, the captain of the ship basically. Right. Um, and this is a person in his mid to late thirties. And, um, you know, of all the people in the in the Navy, only a dozen of them become XOs at any given time of these aircraft carriers. So this guy's like the, the cream of the crop. Um, and he asks the man, well, how you know, how long are you going to are you going to do this? How long are you going to be the XO? And he says oh, about 24 months. <laughs> and then he's on to something else. Now, like what other organization with that level of power and responsibility who finds someone that can do a good job at that role only keeps them there for two years, you know? Wait, so this like, is the military's choice to say you only get 24 months? This, in this is the military's system, right? Yeah. Oh. And um, I was about to make a comment about CEO tenure, but that to me feels like it's even shorter nowadays. But you've seen plenty of organizations where someone has, has risen to a fairly senior position and then they hang out for like 10 years oh, in yeah, that role, sure. you know? Well, because there's nowhere else to go. They have no room to grow. 
So yeah. this seems strange. So why is why why would the military invest so much time in training this person, developing this person, finding this person, raising them up, giving them the responsibility over something that could start World War III, giving them two years of experience to continue to build judgment, intuition, leadership, and then be like, all right, on your way. <laughs> Off you go. Where do they go from there? Do you know? That's not the point. No, I know that's not the point. Right, right, right. I, I don't know, actually. May, I mean, maybe they become an XO of another ship. Um, maybe they become a general. I, or maybe they just leave, right? And they're like, I'm going to be a civilian now. I did my, you know, I did my duty. Hmm. But what I found interesting about this story is that the, the guy asked the XO, like, like, why do they do that? And you know what his answer was? So someone else can have their turn. And that's what I was thinking. Right, because if if you don't if you don't move that person out, you are like reducing the ceiling for how people can grow. And you are trying to build in the military an employee base, if you will, that doesn't just show up to work, <laughs> but gives their life if necessary for the job. You need people that are committed that believe in the mission, that are a part of this company. And if you create a situation, a, a system where they can only rise so high and they are unlikely to ever get their turn, how committed do you think they're going to be to your organization? Yeah. yeah this, I discovered, was also the secret of the Roman political system back when it was a republic, is they actually every year they would have a changeover of their political system in terms of like who was going to be consul, who was going to be a senator, who was going to be generals. Like this was something that happened on the Ides of March. Um, and I don't know, maybe Roman historians, maybe amongst our seven listeners, there's a Roman historian who, who can correct me on this. But my understanding is that it was this constant changing of the guard within political power. And they would go so far as to take like, competing families um, and put them, put, you know, put their sons uh, together within certain, you know, army groups because it, it sort of forced them to, to get over their differences, right? If you were the general in, in one particular, whatever, cohort, phalanx, I don't, I don't know what they're called. Um, and you had like three other people underneath you who were from families that were sort of your political opponents, if you will, mm -hmm. like you had to treat them well because you knew that next year they might be the general. And if they wanted, they could send you off on the front line to die. Right. Uh -huh. And so there was this, there was this like cha dynamic change was built into the system and that had all sorts of interesting incentives to the rest of the organization. So I guess one of the points I'm making is you and I, talk a lot about how bored people quit and how nobody wants a job, they want a journey. And we're looking at it from the standpoint of the individual employee who's being affected, which is fine and necessary. But then there's the inversion of that, which is all the other people around it. Right. And how does the choices you make about this one person affect all the other people and therefore the dynamics of your organization? Well, there's this really interesting thing that happens at camp uh, every summer. Mm -hmm. So each, each group has a head counselor and then a bunch of counselors that, you know, work for that head counselor. 
And every summer, a head counselor is out for a day. You know, they're sick or they have a doctor's appointment or whatever, or they had planned to be out. And those are always the most amazing days because the people that ordinarily sort of defer to the head counselor have to spread their wings, have to and get to spread their wings and take charge. And what that does is, first of all, it allows those people who spread their wings to kind of see what it's like and feel it and, you know, take pride in what they're doing, take responsibility for the team. Um, But it also, upon that head counselor's return, creates this really wonderful, like, oh, I get what you do now (laughs) and I appreciate you more. Mm. Right. And also the head counselor comes back going, I appreciate that you guys pulled this off in my absence and I have more respect for you now. So it, it, it's the best thing. Like it's it's something that I actually sometimes ask head counselors. I say, Psst, I want you to be out on Thursday. <laughs> like you'll get paid. Just stay home and, uh, you know, let your team do this without you. That's brilliant. Uh I mean, on, on so many levels, the whole walk a mile in your moccasins, uh, kind of thing. Um, yeah. What a great, well, it's idea. also the, it's the, the, um, the Hoosiers Dennis Hopper moment. What's You've that? Seen- I haven't seen that movie in decades. Oh my God. You should see I mean, it. I, wa- I watched it, but yeah. Okay. It's one of the greatest movies ever, but briefly, um, you know, uh, Gene Hackman is the head coach. Yeah. And Dennis Hopper's kid, who's sort of estranged from him, is is one of the stars of the team. And Dennis Hopper's a huge basketball fan, but he's kind of a disaster. He's an alcoholic and he, you know, Mm -hmm. lives in this rundown house and kind of can't get his life together. And um, at one point, Gene Hackman recognizes that, like, he has a lot of basketball knowledge. So he invites him to sort of be an advisor for the team, like an assistant coach kind of kind of guy. And everybody's nervous about it because, you know, they don't know how reliable he is and all this stuff. But he starts to, like, wear a little suit and, like, slick his hair down and and try to, like, get his life together in order to be a good role model for these boys. And um, in one game, uh, Gene Hackman feels like he's ready. And so he goes up to the ref and he goes, how dare you make that call? You know, he was, you know, and then he whispers to the ref, kick me out of the game. And the ref's like, what? What, what are you talking? And he's like, I said, kick me out of the game. And then he keeps yelling and, you know, pretend. And finally, the ref is like, I don't know. You must have your reasons. You're out of here. And kicks mm-hmm. him out of the game. And Gene Hackman gives Dennis Hopper the clipboard and goes, it's all yours, coach. And it's like, ah, oh, great. So awesome. And then he's got to step up. Right. Yeah. And it's. I mean, you know, not to go too far down the road, but like it's it's a tough moment. Um, he steps up in some ways and falls down in other ways, but like, there's nothing like truly being in charge to see what you're made of, you know, mm. what you can do. So, you know, this I, talent flow, right? How does talent flow through your organization? It's something I don't hear a lot about. I mean, you, you hear some standard standardized um, patterns of, you know, like whether it's high potential programs or um, uh, why am I blanking on it? 
like replacement programs, like you, like, you know, someone's getting near retirement and you start lining up someone that could take their place. I can't, I can't believe I'm forgetting this right now. Um, uh, like, no, there's, there's a word for it. Oh, this is embarrassing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's like contingency plans or something. Um, uh, um, God, where was I going with this? Oh, so, so what, what you, what, what, uh, Dennis Hopper experienced and Gene Hackman set up for him, as well as what you do with those, with those counselors at camp is, is a sort of like a principle for a day or like exposure, you know, and, and letting people's perspectives flow through the organization so mm-hmm. that they get a feel for and an understanding and a respect for what other parts of the company do. Um, what, you know, what I wanted to get at and try and explore is, you know, what does it mean for talent to flow through an organization? What is, what is an optimal flow? And that's going to be different for every organization, but if there's some sort of like, you know, platonic form of talent flow, what might that be? How do we talk about it? How do we measure it? How do we think about it? Um, and, and is talent flow inherently a good thing? Like, can we steel man the case for talent retention, for keeping people in a certain place or in a certain role? Um, or, you know, keeping people, it sounds like we're locking them in a cage, but, you know, incentivizing them to not change what they're doing, you know? Um, I don't know. Do you have a reaction to that before I stumble through trying to answer my own questions well yeah i don't i don't know if this is a reaction i don't know what what came to mind for me is one of the most interesting things about the world of education and teaching which is that you have the same role the first day you start as like a greenhorn 22 year old as you do as a 65 year old as you retire 35 years in it's the exact same role. Like there is no lat corporate ladder in teaching. Mm-hmm. So all of your development and growth has to come in the form of sort of like self pride in wanting to do a better job, mm. you know? So it's like a completely like none of what we are talking about applies in the teaching world, like creating the conditions for growth, creating, you know, uh, cages versus not cages. Um, that's, that's what came to mind for me when you were talking about, like, is there a way to incentivize people to stay in their same role? Because that is what you are doing when you're teaching, you're staying in the same role. There's, but is there, um, surely there's a social hierarchy to some degree, however, informal, right? Oh, Doug's been teaching for 20 years. People look up to him. They go to him for advice. Tammy well, just except, started last year. Yeah, except sometimes there's sort of the inverse of that, which is Doug's been teaching for 20 years. He's totally checked out, but he's got the golden handcuffs and there's no way to get rid of him. But right. the three new teachers just started, but they just came out of Columbia Teachers College and they have a million new ideas and they're really connecting with the kids in a modern way. And so it's it's not always, a yes, there is, a pecking order and there is sort of like an invisible kind of web of respect, but it's, 
not at all always connected to years in the system. Yeah. So that that brings to mind uh, something I wrote down called stagnant pools of talent. Mm. Um, in that concept of talent retention, I think of retention ponds <laughs> where things sort of collect. And if the, if the water isn't circulating, like stuff starts to grow and it gets kind of gungy, you know, yep. grungy, gunky, grungy, grunky, gungy. Anyway. Um, <laughs> and, and so, I, you know, somebody raised a point on LinkedIn the other day after I posted about talent flow and he said, spark plugs are great but flywheels are also useful and I hope they get the respect they deserve. And I, if I recall, that's this sort of like an, an old analogy of spark plugs being people that are, you know, very dynamic and full of ideas, always doing new things, but maybe necessarily don't sort of follow through on them uh, as much. And flywheels are the, you know, maybe not as dynamic, but you can depend on them. They, they know how things work. They get the job done. They push things through. Um, they have, legacy knowledge that's important. And, you know, in the abstract, I think that's a useful framework for thinking about things. Um, but, you know, I'm reminded that as much as you know and may have extensive static patterns of value in the form of knowledge and experience, if you continue to be a reliable, if you continue to be reliable by doing things the same way, right? The rest of the world is dynamic. Yeah. And it continues to change and evolve. And so even if you stay in the same role for 10 years, you must reckon with the dynamism of the rest of the world around you, you know? And so there is that risk that, you know, reliability leads to stagnation. It leads to your patterns of operating, your ways of working, your mental models about the world becoming outdated. And I want to be careful to, 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 to be clear and make the distinction that outdated is not the same as just old, because I think there is a lot of ancient wisdom that is just as valuable today as it was 2000 years ago. And in many ways, we could really use more of it. We've forgotten about that, right? So it's, it's not that being old, you know, in terms of ideas, in terms of patterns, whatever, is, is inherently bad. It's when they, those, those frameworks or practices or tools become out of sync with the, the, the world in which you are now operating as an organization. Well, and that's interesting, like vis-a-vis -vis the teaching thing, because the dynamic world changing is kids and the way kids learn, right? Like you can imagine if you taught the same way 20 years ago as you do today, I mean, think about how much has changed. Like the way kids consume knowledge and understand things is like completely, they're like a different species than they were 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. So it's not that the principles of the way you teach and the way the kids learn have necessarily changed. Like, in fact, I would argue that it's not the practices and it's not the frameworks, it's the tools. Mm. So if, so you can keep like timeless, wonderful frameworks and practices in the way you teach kids, but if you're not changing the tools, you're either going to be perceived as being out of touch 
And once you're perceived as being out of touch, the kids are not going to listen anymore Mm. or you're going to actually be out of touch and you're going to be, you know, showing kids things in a way that like, they're like, what? I don't, what am I, I don't understand how to even look at this or read this or consume this, you know? So I'm, I'm coming to the question now of if I run an organization or if I'm responsible for in some way that, you know, the talent flow at my organization, if you will, just responsible for talent, right? How can I improve the flow of talent within my organization? How do I think about that? What are some frameworks? What are some metrics? What are some, you know, red flags I want to look out for? And I haven't thought extensively about this yet. That's why we do this podcast. But I'm going to throw out a couple things and I'd love your reaction to it. So the, the one is what is the what is the pathway through which talent flows in your organization? And I think of those six stages that you and I uh, developed, uh, which are probably not that earth shattering. I'm sure there's plenty of other frameworks that r- rhyme with this. But you know, it was um, uh, hiring, onboarding, developing, promoting, mentoring, and exiting. Mm-hmm. Right? There's this. The hiring part is how you bring talent into your organization. The onboarding part is how you get talent up to speed and functioning and productive, sort of quickly adapt them to your culture and your ways of working. The developing stage is how you are constantly improving, you know, the quality of, of your talent, the skill set of, of that talent. Promoting is, is how you are moving them throughout your organization. And it doesn't, to your point, doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, from junior copywriter to senior copywriter. Like it, it could be lateral stuff, but how are you moving them through your organization within the sort of formal hierarchy or the recognized roles? Mentoring is how do they start giving back to, to the rest of the community? And exiting is, you know, how do they exit? Um, and I'm sure that there are metrics that can be set up at each of those stages that you can start to watch and understand like what your baseline is. Um, you know, historically, how many people do we hire in a year? How many people do we hire every quarter? What departments tend to have higher rates of hiring? Uh, you know, how fast is our onboarding program? How do we, how do we even think about or define someone who has been quote onboarded, you know, like, like what, what does productive look like within a particular role? How frequently do we provide promotions or lateral changes? Is that structured or does it just, you know, like, do we do it once a quarter and there's a particular window? Uh, thinking about the Romans, right? Like, it, um, uh, is there, a, is there a, a cadence to it or is it just whenever we need to do it? Um, you know, mentoring, is there any kind of formal mentoring program in place or, or, or mentoring community? Um, and then exiting kind of gets back to that that aircraft carrier XO or that like how long should someone spend in a particular role or, you know, or, or at the company, are we making the exit process something that is mutually beneficial? Like it always, it's always a drag to lose good talent, you know, but um, at the same time that talent can go out into the world and tell a great story about your organization, which feeds the front end of that funnel as well. Anyway, those are my initial thoughts on on talent flow. Yeah, I mean, I don't disagree with anything you said, but uh, <clears throat> it seems to me like the the talent 
the definition of like good talent flow would be that they're that it's smooth, you know, not that people go through all of these stages in their role, you know, in their time in your company, but that they, it's a, they're not stuck for a little while and waiting and then they move through, you know, I think of it like, like the way your blood flows through your body, Mm -hmm. right? Like you don't want it to be like stuck here near your heart, but then it gets through, you know, (laughs) and like stuck on the way out, but then it breaks through. Like you want it to be a smooth process where no one is stuck, you know, where people like right before they start to feel like they're outgrowing their job, they're already having a conversation about their next job right Mm. before they are, um, you know, ready to be onboarded right before they become fully onboarded. They're already being, you know, in a conversation about developing themselves in the next stage, you know? So there's like this anticipatory aspect to talent flow that that the company is responsible for and the the leaders of the company and managers you know anybody who's sort of uh supporting people is responsible for and then there's like the don't be afraid to say how you feel part that the employee is responsible for like you know you can't just sit there stuck complaining about it to your friends and your mom and right. never say anything to your boss um on the other hand, your boss has to has to create the kind of um, open and honest relationship and psychological safety that you feel like you not only can but are encouraged to speak about how you're feeling, where you are. Yeah, yeah. You know? Well, I like that idea of stagnation. Like, if there's something to start looking for, if you apply that framework, those those kind of stages of an employee's cycle, employee's journey through your organization. Where, where do you see things getting backed up? Where's there a backlog? Is it around promotion? Is onboarding taking forever? Um, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> is, de- is development kind of stagnating? Are people feeling like they're stuck in their current position? Well, the metaphor that comes to mind for me, actually, it just rained for like four days. Right. And when it does, you know, all the gutters and the drains are working on your house. Mm-hmm. And I have this one, the roof of my garage gets a lot of leaves on it. Right. So like the water is draining, but it's like falling off the side of the roof instead of going through the pipe because the leaves are clogging up the pipe. So like there is talent flow, water flow, right. It is flowing to the place it needs to go next, but it's not going in the right way, in the way that I wanted it to. And it's stuck for a little while until it builds up and then explodes over the side, you know? So like what I am responsible for as the leader of my house Uh is clearing those leaves, you know, Uh, and making sure that, that the things that are in place for there to be smooth water flow are able to function the way they're supposed to function. Are there leaves in the gutter of your talent program? All right. Well, why don't we end it there? Perfect. All right. Thanks, Doug. Thanks, Gabe. Well, there you have it. Another episode of Learning at Work. I hope you had fun 
and maybe got a few new ideas you can put to work in your own organization. If you want to learn more about the Cultivate Me method of turning jobs into journeys, visit us on the web at cultivateme.xyz or send an email to hello at cultivateme.xyz. Be well, and I'll see you in the next episode.